As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Here we go. The Jets have officially put on the pads, believe it or not, 27 days away from the regular season kicking off for the 2020 edition of the New York Jets. We have a lot to get to. There's good, there's bad, there's ugly, there's large Mackay Becton as well. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris. Um, we're going to talk about Becton. We'll talk about the wide receiver depth problems this team is facing right now in just the first few days of camp. And also the O-line meshing a little bit, and we'll take questions from you along the way. If you were tuning in on YouTube, you see that Connor is mobile today. Yeah, in, in the car. car. Yeah, he has left the facility. Well, he's not driving. We'll be clear about that. He is yes. uh, in the parking lot of the facility. Just wrapped things up early practice today. Um, so a lot to get to. But Connor, first of all, um, Beautiful day for practice after suffering through the rain a bit on Sunday. Um, what's the early vibe been before we specifically get into Becton and how he's impressed? Yeah, you know, honestly, man, like, look, I'm I'm a I'm a reporter. I've been a reporter for for quite a while. So so as a reporter, I think that aside from from being a decent, you know, having the having to be a decent storyteller, be be you know, if you're on camera, be decent on camera. If you're writing, be good at writing. Aside from like all those little attributes. One of the main like things you need to have uh, if you want to be a reporter is is truly an innate ability to complain and and constantly find the negative in, in everything. I mean, you really need to be able to just take any situation and just bitch about it. Like you need that that is what you need to do and be able to do if you are a reporter. If you cannot do those things, you a won't make it in this field, and there's a pretty good chance that you won't be able to to find a job in this field. Like you need to be able to complain. It's like the number one thing. Free food complain about it like they like my whole like everything he's got to be able to complain the way that the the the, and i've certainly complained my fair share about the jets the jet staff and or media relations staff over the years like of little things that only reporters complain about but honestly the the way that that eric elfin jared winley everyone uh over at the jets has has conducted 
the first week of, of training camp practices here has, has been first class has been, I, I honestly believe probably second to none around the league. I mean, I, I was legitimately worried once we found out that the practices were going to happen. And, and I don't mean worried in terms of like, um, worried about like, Oh, are we actually you know, getting Corona or anything like that? I'm not talking about being worried about that. Like the worry was like, we're going to get here. The vantage point's going to be terrible. We're going to, we're going to get there and, and, you know, we're not gonna be able to see anything. We're going to get no access, like all this stuff. Honestly, the, the way that it's worked and it, I wrote about it in the first athletic story that we had is you show up here and it's a little different in that you, you come around the facility the same way we always do. You park your car and you can't enter the building until nine o'clock. Once nine o'clock comes, you put on your mask, you leave your car, you go right into the building. You get in the building, you get a face scan immediately. That is actually kind of cool. Like it reads your temperature and automatically signs you in with like facial recognition. You get into the building you go to your cubicle. You can go out and chat with all the other reporters that are there. Obviously, everyone's still wearing face masks and all that stuff. Um, all that's fun. All that's fine. All that's dandy. Like, it, it's great. It's all work. It's no different. Where things have really gone to, like, the next level and, and where the Jets staff really deserves a ton of credit here is once we get out to practice. I mean, the Jets can practice on fields one, two, or three. If they're practicing on field three, we're on the 50-yard line, which is, like, access that I did not think we were going to have from that vantage point. I mean, you really are able – to see everything from the field that we are on. Um, we're probably, if you've attended Jets training camp before, we're basically standing where the bleachers would be. Like where there's no bleachers anymore, so we're just standing in that area. Uh, there are other two practices that the Jets are on. We're in the end zone. But the end zone is positioned in a spot, and the way that we're standing is in a spot where you still can see everything that happens on the field. Uh, once practice is over, we walk from the field all the way back to the media room, going around the facility and back inside. We're all back in our cubicles, and within 10 minutes, the Jets have the, the um, uh, access up with a Zoom call with Gase first, and then they're bringing in players, and the players are in right away, where they really took themselves, like, and, and really did they did us a solid, because a lot of teams don't have to do this, is yesterday when the Jets had an indoor practice. So most teams around the league, when there's an indoor practice, the only person that gets to watch it is one pool reporter, who's usually the PFWA rep. They go in there, they watch the practice, they come out of the practice, and they kind of give you, like, the rundown to all the other reporters. The Jets hooked us up in our media room with a direct feed to the coach's film of the practice, and we were able to watch on television the practice that was indoors to still make our observations, to still write, to not really miss a beat. So uh, as someone who, like I said, is, is awful good at complaining and, and finding the negativity and everything, it's really been a job well done by, by the Jets staff to this point to, to make our lives as easy as possible. And it's honestly, man, it's weird at times, like everyone's in masks. It's weird, like the social distancing. It's weird not being in the locker room or having one-on-ones with actual people and, and doing it all uh, via Zoom. But still, uh, in, in, a, in a worst case scenario, uh, the, the Jets have done a pretty good job of making the best of it. Here I am thinking you're going to talk about like relentless bulldog mentality as a reporter and the things <laughs> that, that allow no. you to survive no. in a competitive New York market. No, yeah, just complaining. No. Just, just complaining, complaining about food and everything. That's how you make it. That's how you make it. That's what I tell kids when I go talk to them at colleges and stuff. Like, how do you make it? How do you get a job? I was like, just start bitching about everything, yeah. man. You'll, you'll be the first one hired. That's the that's the secret. Yeah. All right, let's get to the big man, and that is Mackay Becton. Um, yeah. As big as advertised, he's just huge. Um, it's interesting because on Friday, one of the, the big um, plays of the day, I guess, was – Quinn and Williams making a great yeah. play and like zipping by Makai Becton. And, and I know you had a tweet, Connor, and it was kind of like, I think I retweeted it with, this is a great half glass full, half glass empty tweet yeah. because it's like, yeah. do you think of the great progress of Quinn and Williams or that Makai Becton got burned? Now yeah. that we're a few days later after that, throw it out. 
because Williams hasn't done much else. But Becton, yeah. you've said it over and over again now the last couple of days, really impressing with the athleticism. Yeah, honestly, it's not even me. Like, like here's the thing, and I, I, I genuinely mean it's not not me. Don't take my word. Like, I'm a reporter. I, I make, like, rash assessments on these guys all the time. <laughs> I can say people look good. It is very rare, uh, certainly with Gates last year, and, and even, I mean, extremely rare with Todd Bowles, and, and Rex Ryan was probably the one anomaly of it, but it, it's rare for a coach to – to go out and, and outwardly praise a guy. They're usually like the glass half full, glass half empty, where they'll say like, yeah, he's doing a good job with this, but he still has a lot of this. He's still got a lot of this. When we talked to Gase uh, yesterday on Sunday, uh, it's training camp now, so my days are gone. You guys think my days are shot during the regular season. They're extra shot once once training camp rolls around. But Yeah, but you get uh, up early on these days. That's the one. I do, yeah. I got Yeah, getting up, which you guys know me. I'm never out of bed before like 9, 9.30, and now I'm up at like 8 o'clock. It, this is new. This is new New year, new year, new me. Um, but, but no, like it's rare for a coach to, to truly come out and, and outwardly uh, praise a guy, especially Gates. He just doesn't, it doesn't do it. Like you almost don't want to get the guy like too full of himself or whatever. But, uh, Brian Costello writes for the post was one of the, the, the reporter who actually first asked it. And he made a comment to, um, uh, Gase and, and on the zoom. And he basically said, you know, Adam, have you kind of seen any situation where Makai is swimming? And he started to say swimming as in like, you know, look, it's his first week of training camp. He had no OTAs. He had no mini camp. He's out there against Greg Williams defense. He's with the starters at left tackle. Like, is he going to start? Like, is, is it just a little much where it's like, okay, he's hitting some hiccups. And then, you know, in like a week, he'll probably calm down and, and iron it out a little bit. Gase cut the question off, like completely cut the question off and went on to just rave about this young kid and, and how quickly he's picking up the offense and how there has been no swimming. There's really no been no rookie uh, mistake when he does have a little hiccup or whatever. The coaches tell him, and he immediately corrects it. I mean, it, it, and then he went, he doubled down on it today when we asked about him because Makai had had probably the play of practice. Uh, if you're if you're into offensive lineman, defensive lineman stuff, where he on a Le'Veon Bell running play got through the second, got through the first level of the defense, so basically split the nose tackle Steve McClendon and the uh, the defensive end Quinton Williams rushed up to the second level of the defense and absolutely knocked Neville Hewitt on his ass. I mean, he just, he crushed Neville Hewitt. And it is rare for an offensive tackle to be able to move like that. It's extra rare for a guy who's like 6'8", 370 pounds to be able to move and run like that and get to the second level and knock the linebacker on his ass. And Neville's no like schlub. Like he's a big guy, tough guy. The one thing about Neville that we talked about last year is that he's a little weak in coverage, but the dude packs a punch and hits people. So you're, you're at a point here where, where he's now starting to show not only his size and his, he's huge and he's massive. I mean, you look at him for two seconds, you're like, holy shit, that guy's a massive human being. I mean, I've, I've never seen a football player this big before, but that's just size. Like, who the hell cares? Can he actually play? You're starting to see the play now. And, and Gase kind of made reference to it that, that this guy is as athletic of a player as he's seen it as he's been around since Laramie Tunsil. And, and Tunsil was a guy that Gase Joe could play tight end if he wanted to. He's that athletic. So when this all starts to come together for Mekhi Becton, and, and you're seeing it a little bit in camp, obviously he's picking everything up. He's working with the starters. Things are working for him. He's making plays like he did against Hewitt. When all of this does fully come together for him, the guy has the potential, and you see why people said he has the potential to be the all-pro, pro bowl, dynamic, dominant, big offensive lineman and, and obviously the early signs are are optimistic here at camp and 
And they're, they, look, it's not perfect. Like, he got beat pretty bad here. I, I'm sorry, I keep getting, like, emails. So I keep having to swipe them up because they're taking away your guys' faces. The joys of doing this on my phone. Um, <laughs> the, I, and I don't have Wi-Fi out here. So normally I just do it in there, but I don't have Wi-Fi out here. So um, Once again, the, complaining. Just complaining. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah so, uh, yeah, exactly. So, um, you're, uh, with, with the one, I mean, he's not perfect. Like, there, there are situations where he is not perfect, but it was – or what I should say you can kind of see is, is like there was a play one-on-one drills, for example, Jordan Jenkins blew right past him. Like Jordan Jenkins swam around and blew right past him. I mean, he got just destroyed in one-on-one drills. Like it was just, it wasn't pretty from Becton. Immediately after that though, Greg Van Roten's in his pocket explaining to him exactly what he did wrong, how they can make it better, what he can do, all of this fun stuff. So Becton then gets the immediate coaching. And then you go out there and you see him in the next team drill is when he goes out and he pancakes Hewitt. So it, it's not like completely perfect yet. But you're starting to see every single day it gets better. Every single day he's learning. And, and when this, like I said, all comes together for this kid, it's going to be uh, it's going to be something to be seen. So, Connor, you mentioned Quinn and Williams. Um, this question comes from the flight zone on Twitter. They said, I'm hearing a lot about this Quinn and Williams buzz, his condition and improvement, et cetera. But zero footage or any analysis on him outside of the buzzword hype material. Get into the details, please. And thank you. <laughs> Yeah. Um, here's it. And like, this is honest. We're probably going to get questions. Like we get questions like this. Anytime I ask people about the, you know, for questions for camp and, and people always ask about like the undrafted guys and the guys are third or fourth on the depth chart that like, you know, oh, are they impressing? So you want to know they're kids you don't know about. You want to know if they might've found some kind of diamond in the rough. I, I love Robbie Anderson a couple years ago. And um, the, the observations thus far on Quinnen are kind of the same for a lot of different players where if they don't make the flashy massive play, it's a little difficult to um, notice them and see them per se, just, just because right now practices are so short. Like, dude, we were like, we got out there at nine 30 today. Practice was over at like 1130. Like that's a short ass practice. Like I'm used to being out there for like a ridiculous amount of time, two and a half hours, like a while, like they're shorter right now as they do this whole like ramp up period. So because they're shorter, there's not as many reps. You're still getting first, second, third, fourth team. Third and fourth team guys are only getting like four or five plays and team drills. Starters are kind of getting going. But uh, with Quinn and I, like uh, Tim was meant, Tim made reference to it. He did make the play uh, early on where he absolutely just shot across Makai Beckton with a swim move and was in the backfield uh, almost as soon as Sam Darnold got the snap. I mean, that play stood out right away on the first day of practice. It was a little bit quieter on day two when, when the practice was indoors, and this was day three. I, did, I don't remember hearing of him too, too much. But, again, he's a guy that, that as a defensive lineman, you're only going to see him when he's actually in the backfield or when he's making a sack or stuff. So uh, we're going to talk to Quinnen tomorrow, and we're going to get him. We can I'll probably know more then or when we see him more. We're going to get more of an observation as these practices roll on. But right now, I mean, I can tell you he looked quicker on, on that first day, and he looked quicker doing some, uh, some of the things that he's done thus far. But, but other than that, I mean, it's been a relatively quiet start to camp. I'm going to see if I, Marissa, you said there's like a do not disturb button here on my phone. Yes, Let me see if Connor. I can uh, roll that on. I'm sure because this is getting, getting freaking annoying. Are you Apple or Android? iPhone I'm or Android? Apple. Oh, that's nice. If you, I think you swipe down on the right, you can. Yeah, uh, screen. This is, this is live click. streaming in 2020. Teaching yeah. Connor how to work his phone. Swipe yeah, down on the right and then you can oh, click the little moon. You're just oh, so popular. What oh, can we say? There we go. Okay, good. We're do not disturb now. Yeah, I got tech. Yeah, I got. Yeah, it's ridiculous. All right, we're good now. Because like the whole thing is like, which is a positive. People are like subscribing via YouTube, but every time they do, I got to turn off these notifications. I get an email about it. 
So like I keep going like God, get away, get away. The freaking keep subscribing away, so that talk. Connor's phone keeps blowing up. Is I would also say, Marissa, let's let's go ahead and leave this in the podcast version too. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. America needs to know. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get on to uh, the receiver depth because this is uh, developing as a big problem here early on for this team. Uh, Denzel Mims, obviously, the big draft pick comes in, and this is the time where he can finally get with Darnold and and start to mesh because they haven't had anything else because of the virus. And he's out with this hamstring injury. Um, and then Vincent Smith also out with a core muscle injury. So you have Jeff Smith lining up as a starting receiver right now, along with Prashad Perryman. Now we can get to Perryman and the great catch. They, uh, he connected with Darnold yeah. on, on Sunday, but, but first of all, the injuries, um, you know, this isn't ideal. We talk about how tough it is for rookie receivers, Connor, and every, I guess every snap counts in training camp. Yeah, it does. And, and it, it's, it's equally more important for a wide out. And I, I remember talking to Gase about this not too long ago, and, and it was on like another zoom call and he, he talked, but on the record and we wrote about it was that you know people don't people always talk about the acclimation period from the nfl for for pro you know college to pros and, and the different positions that it's challenging for quarterback obviously offensive line obviously receiver is up there among the more challenging to make the jump and the reason why i say this a lot of times in college these guys are going to the line with one play and and it's it's one play and it's one route and they're running that route and because these guys that are going to the NFL are likely the most athletic of the people that they're facing. They're going to get open on that one route. They're going to make the play. They're going to score touchdowns. They're going to get their catches. They really don't need to do anything else. When you get to the NFL, the vast majority of receivers are going to the line and the best receivers are going to the line with three or four different route combinations that they could potentially run. They need to pick which of those three or four route combinations they want to run based on the coverage that the defense gives them. They need to identify the coverage, pick the right route they're going to run and then run that route while seeing things exactly the same as their quarterback does. So that's why it takes some time for these guys to get going and why it's not always common to see players like DK Metcalf do what they did or Odell Beckham and Mike Evans do what they did. Instead, a lot of times you see these guys have to take a year to develop or you don't really see them start to hate their stride until week six, seven, eight. I mean, I go back to, to Hakeem Nix, his rookie year with the Giants. He had a pretty good uh, season for the Giants that year, like 600, 700 yards. But you didn't see him get going until a little bit later on. Uh, J.J. Arcega Whiteside, the guy that the, the Joe Douglas drafted with the Eagles last year, didn't do anything as a rookie. He just kind of struggled to get going. And now you're probably going to see him take over in year two. So it takes some time. So the, the thing that's acting against Denzel Mims this rookie year is that he did not have the luxury of an organized team activities. He didn't have the luxury of a mini camp. He didn't have the luxury of just being in this building, working out and conditioning with his team to try to start getting things down and learning the offense and getting things so that when training camp comes, he can really add on that information and be ready to hopefully make an impact week one. He didn't have OTAs. He didn't have mini camp. Now he's missed the first three practices of a condensed training camp. It's, it's, it's incredibly less than ideal. I mean, he, he's missing so much time with, and I know it's, I don't think it's like a crazy, crazy severe hamstring injury, but the issue is you never want to rush somebody back from a hamstring injury, because if you do, you run the issue of them tweaking that hamstring. And then suddenly they're not out a week, two weeks, but one to two months, three months. So the jets need to be careful with him. They need to take their time getting him back on the field, but at the same time, they need to get him on the field if they want to have any hope of him making an impact early in this season. And considering how, lackluster this receiving group is without Robbie Anderson and, and really outside Brashad Perryman and, and uh, then uh, Brashad Perryman and Jamison Crowder, there's really nothing on this roster for Sam Donald to work with. It's, it's, 
it, it's imperative that, that pretty soon they get this guy back on the field. Marissa, I think there was a follow-up too, right, about um, Mims and, and the severity of the injury. Yeah, so Mike Sapped on Twitter wants to know how bad is it really. He says he's always concerned when they say there's no timetable. Yeah, I don't. It's not. It's not super, super severe. It's, it's the same as Pierre Desirs. I got touch base with somebody close to close to Pierre who said like it's not. It's not a tear. It's not like where uh, they looked at his hamstring and you can see blood sometimes. Like sometimes when a player has a light tear in the hamstring, when you look at it, you can see like little blood spots and stuff like that, or the blood kind of actually comes out, and you can be like, oh, that's that's a problem. It's going to be a couple weeks. It's not something like that. The Jets' biggest issue though is that they don't want to take it from a. You know, not severe, but like, you know, minor to slightly a little bit more than minor. They don't want to take it there, rush him back, get him on the field. He tries to open it up on the first or second play, getting beat, and all of a sudden it pops, and then he's out for a while. So the Jets are being cautious. The issue is that when you're a rookie, like, you, you, you got to get him back on the field, but you also can't rush him back on the field. And, and if he – look, if he was a veteran, if we're talking about a guy who this is Mims' second season or this is Mims' third season, it doesn't matter. It's like, okay, keep him out till he's ready. The problem is that he needs to get on the field so he can get those on-field reps, and then those on-field reps can help him kind of develop and, and make an impact earlier in the season. So uh, it's not like a tear. It's not like somebody's going to keep him out months. It might be a week. It might be later this week he gets back on the field. But the Jets just need to be cautious because the last thing they need, especially with this receiving core already depleted, is for him to get on the field, like I said, try to open it up, and all of a sudden he hears a pop. And then, like I said, a, a week, maybe two-week injury turns into two or three months. Yeah, it's definitely uh, it's a it's an interesting thing where you're kind of dancing that line of of getting him back, but but not making him miss an entire rookie season. Who knows or extended yeah. time? All right, so they they go out and they get some depth on Sunday. They sign Chris Hogan. Um, he's just about done it all in the AFC East at this point. Yeah. The uh, you know the Patriots played. I think this is his fourth AFC East team as he joins the Jets, but has some ties to the area. Played at Ramapo and Monmouth as well. Um, Monmouth, it's let's obvious. go! Yeah, <laughs> let's go! Yeah, they also worked out like a mom at tight end and running back. I, I talked to somebody at the Jets. I was like, man, it's going to be a reunion. I, I just like, tried to kind of like, slip that in there. Oh, but. I like it, man. I like it. <laughs> I was, you have no idea how mad I was when I actually, uh, who was it, Douglas? I think when I saw Douglas, I gave him a little shit from when he cut Neil Sterling. Because Sterling and I graduated together back in Mama. So I was cool to have another Hawk in there. And then when they got him cut, he was always like, oh. You know, there's enough BC guys and LSU and Alabama. Just find some Monmouth guys. Just sprinkle them in there on the practice squad to make me happy. So the unfortunate <laughs> thing is that Hogan graduated well before you at Monmouth. Oh, yeah. And he he is, yeah. Uh, he's on the backside of the career, obviously. Um, is that it, you think, for the Jets? What what can he bring, is, and is there a chance they maybe sign somebody else? I mean, like, the guy caught, like, eight passes last year. I mean, Hogan's yeah. never been an, an elite-level player. He's always been somebody that has, like, some pretty good straight-line speed and somebody who can kind of take the top off the defense a little bit. But he really hasn't done it too, too much lately. I mean, his best years came with the Patriots. When he was one of those guys that just kind of trickled in. And, and they had Edelman, and they had Amendola during those years, and they had, obviously, Gronk. And, and they had a good enough team where Hogan was just, like, another weapon that they would use. And if he got open, you know, Brady would find him the ball. I don't think... Hogan is at a point in his career at 32 years old where he can be a Jets number one wideout. Like he's not going to go and, and replace Vincent Smith and be like the number two. I just don't think he's at that point in his career, but the Jets need bodies. Like, like the Jets, the Jets need guys out there now like that, because you have right now, you're starting three receivers that the Jets trotted out here at camp were Rashad Perryman, who's so far honestly looked really good. Like that's, that's not a joke. Like receivers, you can usually tell pretty early, but he looked, really good like like Perryman looks really good these first three four days um then you have Jamison Crowder who you know what you are you know you get with him like he's a very good slot receiver but that's what he is he can't play outside he's only a slot receiver 
So that other outside spot is right now our rotation of, of Malone, Jeff Smith. Uh, uh, Kager is, is working in there. Kager is working in there a little bit. The undrafted rookie, well, uh, he, that guy's like huge. He's like 6'5", 220, but he's got hands of stone. Like, I've seen this guy drop like 10 balls already. Like, you can tell. He's, it's, there's, there's a reason why somebody that big, 6'5", 220, didn't get drafted. Like, you can tell why. The guy's got bad hands. He's got to work on that if he wants to have any kind of an impact and, and make this team as opposed to just being a practice squad player. But um, they, I think that the big thing right now is that they, they need bodies and they need guys that have done it before. And, and when talking about the signing of Hogan, Adam Gase said that he believes he's a guy who can pick up the offense pretty quick, that, that he's going to show up and, and kind of know what he does. Because a lot of what Adam Gase does is similar to what Josh McDaniels does uh, with the um, what is similar to what Josh McDaniels does in uh, in New England. So it should be relatively easy for him to, to find the similar terminologies and learn it and pick it up and go and rock and roll. So. Um, I, I think that, that he was the best option of guys available. Demarius Thomas was another one, but with Demarius, you've got some injury issues that you got to work through. I mean, he's got some problems with his knees. He had problems with his hamstring last year. He's older. Uh, so I think that, that of, of the guys that were there that the Jets could bring in and, and hope that they could maybe contribute, Hogan was the best option. And, and at this point, I think he's a good guy to get in there and hold the fort down until you can get Mims both healthy and then acclimated. And then you can also get some of these guys rocking and rolling as well. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So back to Perryman, because you mentioned yeah. how much he's impressed. And the first touchdown of the training camp was was Sunday indoors, a 50-yard pass from Darnold to Perryman. So he's looked good. Uh, and then Darnold's looked good. And the quote, Perryman had some nice things to say about Darnold. Obviously, you're going to compliment your new quarterback. Uh, and then Frank Gore today, I think, had the, the quote of the Zoom calls when he said about Sam Darnold, Yep, nice ball, nice touch. Leave it at that, and that that has made the way around uh, Twitter. But overall, Perryman's impressed, like you said. But talk about Darnold and what you've seen in in three days as he's dealt with you no know, not having all the weapons out there, but also looked pretty good. Uh it's kind of what Adam Gase said, which is that he's playing a lot faster, right? I mean, Gase said that that when we talked to him about Darnold and and the difference between year one and year two, he said that he just you can tell he's much more comfortable. You know, in his rookie year, he worked with Jeremy Bates and he learned Jeremy Bates' offense. Year two, Adam Gase comes in and Adam Gase's offense isn't simple. So there's some time you need to learn to kind of get it down. And, and even with Darnold, because he kind of got it a little bit in training camp, but then had to miss a month with Mono. And the big thing when he missed a month with Mono is he couldn't even be in the facility. So it's not like he could be here. He was basically quarantined before quarantining was a thing. And then he missed time. And then that's why right around uh, at the Cowboy game, but a little bit after the Cowboy game, Darnold walked into Gase's offense, sat with him and said, reteach me the offense like I've never learned it before. And they went through it and they went over everything and they got a lot of stuff done. And, and that was where you saw Sam start to make a turn and Sam start to play a little bit better and Sam start to get going. So uh, it took him a bit to get the, the basics and the, the basic understanding of the offense now. But heading into year two within Gase's offense and what you've seen thus far – uh, at practice is that Sam is it's I, I wouldn't call him a master of the offense yet but you can tell that he has the offense down and now he's gone from okay I understand the offense I know the offense to he's taking that learning to the next level so much so that he's teaching the younger guys he's telling Gates what he wants and what he doesn't want he's saying he likes this he doesn't like that uh, we were talking to um who was it the other day uh, I forget the player, but he said that it's it's actually to the point now where he's oh Le'Veon Le'Veon Bell said that that he's seen Sam correct Gase on certain things where where Gase would be like oh maybe I want this and Sam goes no I think this might work better here so you're starting to see him really get that understanding which is only gonna uh, improve as this as the camp goes on and it's only gonna prove as we get to the regular season and as a result on the field what you're seeing is a guy who's playing quicker and a guy who's playing faster you can see that 
there's a lot less of the mental mistakes. And a lot of what Sam's doing is he's doing everything. When I, a perfect example is actually the touchdowns that he threw to, to Brashad Perryman yesterday. Like, it's the perfect example because the entire play took maybe two seconds, two, two, two and a half seconds, something like that. It wasn't a long developing play, but Perryman was Donald's third read. So he first took the shotgun snap, looked right. That guy wasn't there. He realized it within the coverage. He goes, can't go there. Went to the middle, goes, can't go there. And because it was the middle, he already knew it was single high coverage. He was able to throw it deep to Perryman on the corner route and get the touchdown. So he's doing things like that where he's able to go one, two, three, one, two, three, four, immediately get through his progressions, move within the offense to know where guys are that maybe would have taken him three and a half seconds last year. It's just everything's happening quicker for him. You're seeing his progressions come through quicker. You're seeing him play faster as a result. And also the fact that he has this better understanding of the offense is he's helping the younger guys come along. And, and they always say that the best way to learn is to teach. And, and you're seeing that as well with Darnold when he's picking these guys off to the side and, and teaching them the offense. He's also learning more himself. Plenty more stuff to get to, but before we do that, sure, the regular season is fun and all but only one thing can compare to the excitement of basketball's playoffs, and that is having skin in the game with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Basketball has made its way through the regular season. Now it's time to crown a champion, and DraftKings Sportsbook is putting you in the center of the action to celebrate basketball's first round of the playoffs. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you an amazing free bet offer for every day that you bet at least $20 on basketball. DraftKings Sportsbook will give you a $10 free bet. Head to the app right now and check out all they have to offer, including player props, quarter-by-quarter betting, so much more. Plus, don't forget about hockey's playoffs. DraftKings Sportsbook is offering great odds and promotions all week long to help you make it rain. DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe, secure, and reliable betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code QUICK when you sign up for a limited time. All users can get a free $10 bet when placing a bet of $20 or more on all first-round playoff action. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook is going all out by offering a $10 free bet when placing a bet of $20 or more on all first-round playoff action. Again, that's promo code QUICK. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. New Jersey only. Other terms and conditions and restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And remember, once the regular season comes with DraftKings, you know, football betting will be all over that as well. Oh, yeah. We have to do our can't-wait picks again. <laughs> we do, yeah. And we're not, we're not making it so we have to pick the Jets. The Jets aren't going to count for our record picks because there were too many times. I feel like I got hurt by that. I got hurt by picking the Jets when I didn't want to pass. Well, you won, so. I did win. I did win. Unfortunately. I talked about gambling enough. I I talked about gambling enough where if I didn't, we'd have a little bit of an issue. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Um, All right, one more thing I have here on the rundown before we get to some more questions that are coming in as well, but that is the the offensive line. You focused in on it on one of your stories on The Athletic, Connor, and that is um, while these guys try to figure things out on the field, they're really clicking off of the field, which can only help in the long run. But just talk about the the quick chemistry that this new group of offensive linemen has been able to put together off the field. Yeah, McGovern was was the one that kind of talked about it. And, and I thought it was pretty telling when, like, he wasn't trying to, like, bullshit. He wasn't, like, just saying it to say it. He was being pretty genuine when he said that this is among the closest offensive line groups that he's been a part of. And he credited Joe Douglas that, that Joe didn't just go out and sign, you know, the best players. It wasn't like Joe was looking for, you know, oh, I want I want this guy because I know he's a more talented this, or I want this guy because he can do this better. He was trying to find the right five. He was trying to find the right five guys to play together. And Joe said that a couple of times. I remember him talking about it at the NFL Combine. I remember him talking about 
talking about it in conference calls and Zoom calls with us is that, yes, this offensive line needs to be rebuilt. Yes, it's the top priority for them, but it needs to be rebuilt the right way. And it needs to be rebuilt with not only the players that are the best, but also the collective five. Because sometimes if you have a left tackle who's really, really good, but he doesn't work with the left guard, well, maybe the left tackle that's the second best compared to the right guard who's the same. Like, you can have a better grouping. So we wanted to have the best collective five, not just the best five individuals. And McGovern kind of highlighted that that, look, on the field, that, that'll be, that'll tell one way or another whether it happens on the field or whether it doesn't happen on the field. But I think McGovern was saying that the chemistry is there, that these guys, they're, they're not hanging out because they have to. They're not hanging out because they're locked together. They're not hanging out because they're teammates and they feel like this is what needs to be done. This is what has to happen, blah, blah, blah. They're doing it because they want to. They're doing it because they want to be together. They're doing it because they want to spend time with each other and they want to see this and they want to do that and they want to do this and they want to do that. They're playing video games together. They're not doing the big offensive line dinner, but they're always together. They've got a big group chat. And what McGovern said is different about the group chat compared to, to other times where he's been with offensive linemen. He goes, you know, every line always has a group chat. They always, you know, all the offensive linemen are always together in a group chat. But there are times when it's kind of like two guys that carry the conversation. And all of us have been in group chats like this, where you have like one or two people that constantly text and everyone else just is like in the stands, in the stands observing. That's not the case with this Jets line. It is everyone is cracking jokes. Everyone has their own sense of humor. Everyone kind of just wants to be around each other and wants to make everyone better. And, and I think you're seeing that those relationships off the field translate on the field. And and I touched upon it a little bit like earlier in the show, which is that uh, – Jordan Jenkins beat Makai Becton like a drum in a one-on-one drill where he just was able to swim past and get in for, for what would be a sack in one-on-ones directly after that play. And for the next three or four minutes before the drill switched and the, and the Jets offensive line went off and did something else. Uh, Here we go. My watch is talking to me. Um, (laughs) We're we're all over the place today. Uh, Right. before, like three or four minutes right before the offensive line went off and, and did something else. The defensive line went and did something else. Greg Van Roten pulled Mackay Beckton off to the side, and he was starting – you can't hear them because they're a little too far away, but you could tell he was talking about pad level. He was talking about where his hand positioning should be in the pad level and basically what Beckton could have done instead of what he did to prevent Jenkins from beating him like he did. So you can tell these linemen – it's not like it's like, oh, okay, that's the rookie. He got beat. Okay, I'm up. It's like they, they genuinely want what's best for each other. They genuinely want to, want to collectively be one of the better uh, units in the league. And the Jets have not had a grouping – like that probably since the early 2009-2010 season, more than a decade ago, basically, where they had that line that helped power them to the back-to-back AFC championship game. So it's very uh, optimistic. There's a reason to be very optimistic about this group to this point. Again, I don't think they're going to be one of the best units in the league. I don't think they're that talented. But you can be an above – I always say this. An an average line in the NFL is, is better than what most teams have, and I think that's what the Jets are trying to get to slightly above average. And the quicker George Font comes along, the quicker Makai Becton comes along. Uh, if as the Alex Lewis and, and uh, Connor, Connor McGovern signings, uh, the gambles or a little bit of risks end up being they're better than what you expect and they continue to ascend as players. I think this group could be really, really good. So Adam Romero wants to know who's been getting the start at right tackle Font, and how has he looked so far? Yeah, I can't. That's the, this is like the silly media policy is like you can't give like so I can't tell you the positions that they're playing. It's like this. Like I remember this back in like 2015 when the Jets had uh, I forget who they had Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, and I forget who the other receiver was that they had on the roster. But what they were doing was they were lining Eric Decker up in the slot all the time, which was different because the year before he played outside receiver. So I remember going to tweet that 
Eric Decker is the slot receiver and getting yelled at that. I can't say Eric Decker is the slot receiver, but I can say that Eric Decker, Brandon Marshall, and -and so-and-so are all working with the first team. So I can say that, that they're all working with the first team. I cannot say that he's in the slot. So the same thing goes to the offensive lineman. I can't. So should I rephrase the question? Is George Scott working with the first team? Yeah. I can't tell you that Makai Becton is playing left tackle. What I can tell you, wink, wink, is that the Jets' starting offensive line is Makai Becton. There's Andy trying to – probably has no idea we're live. Uh, Andy Vasquez of the record doing a little blurb in, so he's leaving. Uh, I can tell you that Makai Becton, uh, Alex Lewis, Connor McGovern, uh, Greg Van Roten, and George Font are the offensive linemen, and that is a direction in which they are going. I just can't specify that it's left or right. So. Could be right to left. In between the lines. Right. You know. yeah. uh-huh. The line. Yeah. Get it. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Any more uh, questions standing out, Marissa, before we say goodbye? Um, so just three players that have surprised you so far. Yeah. That may be uh, players we haven't talked about yet. Um, it's kind of early to start going. Like I said, the, the issue with like the players we haven't really talked about yet are um, – the practices just aren't long enough right now. Like that's mm-hmm. that's honestly it. It's just the like there's not enough reps to be able to start picking out guys on the third and fourth team that are doing something. Like there are times where I would say I've been pretty impressed with like um, younger guys who like uh, John Franklin Myers had like a sack or something like that. But it's like it's tough because he's again it just we're probably like three or four practices away from being able to really make concrete observations or not concrete observations to be able to say like this guy is really starting to flash, but. I can tell you the players that have really impressed me so far. Uh, uh, one of the, the top ones is Chris Herndon. Chris Herndon looks like a stud. He looks healthy. He looks good. The chemistry with Sam Darnold is right where they left off their rookie year. He has the ability to stretch the field. He made a ridiculous catch today in seven-on-seven seven drills where he was in covered extremely tight by Neville Hewitt with a safety over top, I believe, with Bradley McDougald. And somehow he was able to go up for the ball, grab it, Hewitt was all over him, so the ball kind of dislodged a little bit. But before Herndon fell to the ground, he pulled the ball back in and made the grab, diving to the ground. That was uh, uh, one of the better play, one of the better catches I've seen in camp. He's shined. Uh, Brashad Perryman, obviously the touchdown is what everyone talks about, but he's impressed me with the route tree that he's running. He's obviously got the 4-2 speed. He's a guy that can take the top off the defense. But I've seen him run curls. I've seen him run outs. I've seen him make the catches on the comebacks. Today he made like a little 12-yard grab when he was able to run a curl and find the the, uh, the hole in between a zone where he had a linebacker to his right corner or linebacker to his left corner to his right and a safety over the top. He sat down in the middle of all three. Darnold found him for a first down. I mean, that, that's kind of finding a, a more complete receiver and Perryman really coming along. So he's impressed. Herndon obviously won. Perryman's another one. Ashton Davis is starting to flash. He made a ridiculous play today. Uh, center field. So he was kind of playing the Marcus May position with the second team defense. Uh, he started drifting a little right. Then I believe it was David Fales was the quarterback, drew it to Malone on the right, like just chucked the bomb up like 30, 40 yards down the field or probably 40, 50 yards down the field. It was more than 30. Uh, Ashton Davis was able to go from that center field position, cover so much ground to get over to literally break up the pass from Fales to Malone. And by break up, I mean he laid Malone out. Like he laid him up and he separated ball from man. Uh, And that was range that I haven't seen from a safety in a minute, it's actually been better safe, better, better range. I think even from Marcus May and Marcus May is a pretty damn good center fielder. Uh, May, I think is having a pretty, pretty impressive camp to this point. I think he's a guy that is, um, uh, play, he's a little more active. So the last couple of years, he's been playing that center field, deep safety spot. The jets are, are getting a little more active with him and, and letting him do some more things. And I think you're going to see his role expand this year. 
Uh, and I think he's been a guy that, that's impressed me. So May's up there. Perryman's up there. Uh, Herndon's up there. Becton is now getting up there. Uh, I think those are the guys that right off the top of my head really, really stand out as guys that are, are making making a difference uh, early on. All right, one bookkeeping type question from that QC guy he says, do you know the camp schedule heading forward, heading into week one? Is it five practices a week until September 12th? Uh, no, we only we get the schedule right now week by week. So I know the Jets practice today's Monday. The Jets practice Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and their next day off is Friday. So we're getting them. It's different. Normally, normally the answer to that question is yes. Like we get at the beginning before camp even lets out, we get the full camp schedule. And it's like these are every day of camp leading up to – leading through the second preseason game. And then after the second preseason game, the Jets go to their regular season camp schedule or regular season practice schedule. So that's what, that's where it changes a little bit. Um, but right now we're getting it week by week. So it's literally just Monday. Like we're getting, we know, I know we're, we're at training camp through Thursday, Jets next day off is Friday. And then I don't know when we're back as media. Like I assume it would just be the next all right, and keep it locked here on the podcast and, of course, all the articles coming to The Athletic from Connor as well for all of that information. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and review us if that's available wherever you're listening. It really helps out as we attempt to continue to beat the algorithms and, and grow this podcast. So definitely give us a rating and review. Uh, stay tuned to The Athletic, too, for all your complete training camp coverage, not just for the Jets, but for all the teams across the NFL if you have a friend who needs a subscription to The Athletic, check out theathletic.com slash the Can't Wait podcast. You can save 40% off a one-year subscription to The Athletic. If you don't follow Connor on Twitter, he's at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. I'm at Tim M. McMaster. And Marissa, as we try to build up her followers, <laughs> is at Marissa underscore Morris. Get Thanks Marissa for tuning- to 1K. You got to get Marissa <laughs> to 1,000 followers. It's a new goal. We're on our we way. Gotta, we got to make her an influencer. Yep. Absolutely. We're on our way. Uh, she, well, you know, she watches the, the Real Housewives of New Jersey. We've got to get her on the, on the show eventually. That, that's the eventual goal once she's married and all of that stuff. Yeah. So we'll get there. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the Can't Wait podcast. Thanks for tuning in.